Drabblecast B-Sides, Episode 42, Chrysalis, by Mary Robinette Kowal. Mary Robinette Kowal is a novelist and professional puppeteer. Her debut novel, Shades of Milk and Honey, was nominated for the 2010 Nebula Award for Best Novel. In 2008, she won the Campbell Award for Best New Writer, and two of her short fiction works have been nominated for the Hugo Award, Evil Robot Monkey in 2009, and For Want of a Nail in 2011. Her stories have appeared in Strange Horizons, Asimov's, and several years' best anthologies, as well as in her collection, Scenting the Dark, and other stories. The story is read to you by Renee Chambliss and Delianne Forgay. So without further ado, we bring you Chrysalis by Mary Robinette Kowal. Dear Grandma, Your letters beat me to Husa, and I've told the computer to dole them out at the intervals that you sent them. I got no idea why I'm telling you that, since there's zero chance you'll read this. Helps me focus, I guess. I'm so wound up and lonely. There, I admitted it, just like you were worried I'd be. You don't even get the satisfaction of saying I told you so, do you? Call me a fool, but I'm going to pretend I'm a knee-high girl again and tell you what's bothering me. For the last 14 months, I've been working on this documentary for one of the Husiths. It's supposed to help him after Chrysalis scrambles his memory, like it does for all Husiths. Jeroth's a good enough guy. Mind you, he looks like a mealworm on steroids, but that's not unusual around these parts. Humans are the minority here. I wonder what you'd think of the Husiths. You'd probably think they were ugly creatures with hundreds of tiny fingers bristling from their underbellies. It's how they express their moods and provides traction as they inch through these massive underground cities. God, I wish you could hear them. They're real soft most of the time, but when they fight, they bray like sea lions mating. And Geralt's fighting all the time with his betrothed. I mean, all the time. And here's the thing. I'm supposed to be recording this so he can remember it afterwards. But I mean, Jeroth loves Ilyeth, so I can't figure out why he'd want to remember these knock-down, drag-out fights they have. I know I'd like to forget mine. The deal is that Ilyeth wants him to undergo chrysalis, and he doesn't want to, even though he's way, way overdue. Totally unhealthy, even to my eye. Claims that no one besides him can understand this theory he's working on. I can't pretend to follow the equations, but apparently his treatise has the potential to unlock the space between stars. I might even see the practical application of it within my lifetime. Heck, I could travel back to Earth without the hassle of cryosleep. Although, that seems pretty pointless. Even if Jeroth could open a gateway between planets at this moment, you'd be dead. Are, in fact, already dead. Despite your letters. Right, well, that morbid thought isn't helping at all. So today, in the middle of one of their spats, the door opened. I turned, holding my camera, to frame Kyo, this post-chrysalis Husith, and Russ, the sound guy, followed with the boom. Kyo still shocks me. I mean, three months ago he was a grub like the others, but now Kyo has limbs like a praying mantis, and these colors swirl under his exoskeleton like the rainbows in an oil slick. All those tiny fingers transformed during chrysalis into a fringe like spun silk. Beautiful every time, 
as if he were made for the camera. Jaroth turned to the door and barked, What? Kyo stiffened his filaments in shock. His golden eyes passed over Russ and me, ignoring us as if we were pieces of furniture. When he saw Ilyath, his filaments fell gracefully. Greetings, Ilyath. Oh, Grandma, I wish you could hear him. It's like listening to a living flute. Ilyath's thousand fingers drooped in greeting. Greetings, artist Kyo. Is my brother ignoring you again? Ilyath shook her heavy head, spreading her fingers wide. No, not at all. Ha! Jeroth snorted at Ilyath. I let distraction enter the room when there is no time. He turned his back on her. I shall make note of this in my journals. You may be certain of that. Ilyath's fingers curled in as if Jeroth had struck her. What good will it do you if you have no mind after? He hissed at Ilyath. I make note of your concern. Kyo, I have come with wonderful news. Ilyath, what is it, artist? The council has purchased my latest composition. Ilyath, wonderful. Please, join me for dinner. Kyo folded his arms across his body and inclined his head. Jaroth snorted. I have much work to do. I am certain you do, but your journal entries need not be solely about work. I reread my larval notes and am saddened by how little pleasure I sought. You loved your work. Did I? Kyo spread his arms. It seems loathsome now. It shocks me, sometimes, how different Kyo is now than before Chrysalis. Not just the physical changes, but his attitude. He and Jeroth had been closer than any brothers I had known, even if they are giant larvae. Now it seems as if Kyo was only being dutiful to a memory. Jeroth crept closer to him. You were a brilliant mathematician. He tossed a pad on the ground at Kyo's feet. Look at what I've done with our work. Kyo took a step back. I have no interest. I have come with an invitation for dinner. That is all. Look at it, and I will join you. It will save me the effort of proofreading. No. Kyo retreated to the door. I have no time for such larval things. You no longer understand such things. Jeroth glared at Kyo. Is this what you want for me? I am simply asking you to dinner. Take Ilya, then. She is practically an adult in her thoughts. I have work to do. Please, come, Jeroth. Ilyath placed her tail over his, pleading with him. Jeroth looked at the floor. The larva works so the adult can play. Ilyath pulled her tail away. Will you ever grow up? She crept to the door where Kyo stood. Then she stared into the camera. Vanessa, will you join us? I jerked away from the eyepiece and gaped over the barrel of the camera. Ilyath held my gaze, against the conventions of etiquette toward documentarians. A flush rushed up my neck, like menopause had come early. Russ's mouth hung open. A documentarian was supposed to record, not participate in the action. No, thank you. I looked at the floor, 
mimicking their gesture for apology. How dare she try to bring me into this? But I was a professional. You would have been proud. I kept my voice calm. I, too, have work to do. I doubt you understand the damage your work does. Ilyeth slid out the door, her marble body undulating down the hall. Great exit, if Ilyeth had not breached the fourth wall by talking to the camera. By talking to me. Kyo spread his limbs in surrender and exited with a graceful flourish. When the door closed behind Kyo, Jeroth's cracked hide shivered like somebody was walking on his grave. He turned to me. You may stop recording. I will work on my treatise this evening. There is no need for more footage of that. Go home. Rest. Russ started stowing his gear. I had this momentary leap of excitement, like a child promised a day off from school, but reality snared me. What would I do with an evening off? Are you sure? I promise I will do nothing memorable. Jaroth twitched. Besides, you have stationary cameras throughout my home. I don't mind staying. I make note of your concern. Jaroth turned his back on us. If I want to forget this evening, it is my prerogative. So, that was it. I came back to my apartment. Each of the four rooms would house a family of five back on crowded earth. It may not have the history of our family home, but at least I don't have to rent the other rooms out to anyone. Speaking of, have you found a new border yet? I guess you'll tell me when you do, or, well, you know what I mean. At times, the emptiness of these rooms overwhelms me. Lately, I've been opening the channels to Jeroth's home and letting his activity fill the space while I work. The evening routine is pretty much the same every night. I'll fast forward through the day from one relevant point to the next and write a summary of each. The hours flow by like minutes as I lose myself in the process of logging the day's footage. Intercut with these, in my mind, are the live images from Jeroth's home. It's usually just Jeroth scribbling on his treatise, but not tonight, which is why I started writing this letter. Jeroth set down his treatise. He stopped in front of his medicine and stared at it for a few minutes, then turned and went to bed without taking his hormone treatment. I had a crazy moment where I wanted to call him, to be certain he meant to do that, and only stopped myself by focusing on my job, to record, not to participate. Briefly, I considered following his lead and going to bed, but I liked the idea of actually getting caught up on the backlog of footage. When I finally finished logging everything, I leaned back in my chair and wiped my eyes. Jeroth's home, dark and quiet, lulled me into drowsiness. My eyes glazed over as I stared at the screens, and sleep seemed moments away. And then, on the monitor, the outer door of Jeroth's apartment opened. Ilyeth entered the apartment and crept from room to room. I sat forward in my chair as she picked up Jeroth's treatise. My heart raced as I tracked Ilyeth through the apartment to the kitchen. She glanced furtively around her and buried Jeroth's treatise in the compost bin. I stared at the screen, mouth open in a silent cry, as Ilyeth snuck out. In my years as a documentarian, I have kept the sacred distance from my subjects, but I long to become part of the action. Jeroth's work means everything to him, 
But nothing I did would change Iliath's action, right? Jeroth will discover it himself when he gets up. It's just because I'm lonely that I'm thinking about interfering. I've got the monitors turned off now, but the temptation is hanging right above me. I lay in bed for hours, staring at the ceiling, as my memory replayed Iliath's actions in a montage. Finally, gave up on sleep and thought I'd write to you, see if I could sort my brain out. Maybe I'll treat myself and open one of your letters early. Love, Vanessa. Dear Van, I finally found a boarder that fits into the household. Her name is Kim Perkins, and she's an archaeologist. She's delighted to live in a house with history. You should have seen her eyes widen when I told her how long the house had been in the family. And the stove! Oh, lands! You would have thought she'd died and gone to heaven. How is your work going? I know it's foolish asking you questions, but I do that with your grandfather, too. <laughs> Bear with an old woman's fantasies. Now, don't you worry about me. You're a good girl, but you're a warrior, so cut it out. Be well and do good work. Love, Grandma Tucker. Dear Grandma, I've lost my mind. This morning, Russ was leaning outside Jeroth's door when I arrived. I stepped on the door chime to let Jeroth know we were there. And we waited. And waited. Russ stretched and grinned. Nothing like a night off, huh? Yeah, I managed to log everything. By this point, I was already starting to worry, but I kept telling myself that I had done what I was supposed to do. Worked. I had not interfered. Crazy woman, he shook his head. Maybe I was. He didn't have a meeting this morning, did he? Jeroth still had not come to the door, which was freaking me out, because he is Mr. Punctuality. I should have checked his cameras again before I left the house. Nah. Russ ran his hand through his hair and reseated his cap. It's business as usual today. Lots of audio of writing and one or two arguments. Dang, I never thought I'd miss the days when he was singing love songs to her. Have I played you my rave mix of those? Why did he have to babble like that? I silently begged Jeroth to come to the door. It was hot, Russ chuckled. Might do one from the fights, too. I stepped on the chime again. The door opened, but Ilyeth blocked the entrance with her body. Your services will not be required today. Craning my neck, I tried to see past her. Sorry, Ilyeth. Jeroth hired us, not you. Ilyeth lowered her head as if she was going to ram me, which is really extreme behavior from a Husith. No, you're tricking him, and I won't let you do it anymore. Look. I'm recording things. I don't talk. I don't judge. I just document. I tightened my grip on the camera and pushed forward. I had worked in tougher situations than this and was not about to be stared down by a giant maggot. Let me past. The door irised farther open at my touch, but Ilyeth slammed into my midriff with her head. My stomach felt like it was shoved up through my lungs and breath woofed out of me as I staggered back. Russ tried to catch me, but wasn't fast enough. I hit the ground hard, too busy trying to protect my camera to break my own fall. But I didn't care. 
I could see past Ilyeth into Jeroth's quarters. Without thinking, I framed the shot. Ilyeth wove back and forth menacingly in front of the open door. You're killing him! Beyond her, the quarters were a shambled mass. Papers lay over everything. Furniture was upturned, and gossamer webs strung through the room catching the light in their silk. I wanted to kiss Russ as he turned his gear on. He was a crazy man, but he understood the importance of doing good work. Charging forward, we bowled past Ilyeth. That's the first point where I started to cross the line, acting like I was doing an expose instead of a documentary. Wait for it. It gets worse. Ilyeth retreated, hissing and fainting with her head. I pointed the camera at her. Where's Jeroth? He's out! Keeping the camera on Ilyeth, I glanced around the room, looking for a clue to Jeroth's whereabouts. At my side, Russ focused in the middle distance as he listened to amplified sound over his headset. He tapped my arm and pointed to the hall. I nodded. He must have heard Jeroth. Steadying the camera, I led the way down the hall. As we crept forward, I could hear cursing and things breaking. I held the camera in front of me like a shield as we rounded the corner to Jeroth's study. He lunged across the room toward us. His skin cracked as if it were about to slough off. I can't find my treatise. I racked the focus when he reared in front of me. Jeroth coughed and a wad of silk clung to his lips. I have to find it. No! Ilyeth swarmed between us, pushing Jeroth back from the camera. You have to undergo chrysalis! He shook his head mulishly. I need my treatise. You'll die! I backed away so I could frame both Husiths, sliding back into my role as documentarian. In the corner of my vision, Russ adjusted his boom to stay out of the shot. And what you're asking me to do is death just as surely. I'm asking you to grow up, Jareth, that's all. But you want to commit suicide over a collection of numbers. He turned his back on her. Chrysalis will end me. I live to do good work. The gears in my brain snagged at Jareth's words. It was like you were there doing a voiceover. Be well and do good work. Ilyeth wrapped her tail around him. Stop your work. I want you to be able to play like any other adult. She turned to the camera. She turned to me. You think this documentary will help him after Chrysalis? The longer he puts it off, the less he will remember. Jeroth pushed the papers aside as another cough racked his body. The heaves rolled up the length of him, and glistening silk clogged his mouth. He spitted in a wad on the table. Please... Help me find it. Ilyeth pushed him away from the table. No. Then I will look for it. It would kill him. His body was forcing him to go through chrysalis, and if he continued spitting the silk instead of cocooning himself, the enzymes would dissolve him into a pool of nothing. But my job was to document, not to act. If I did my job right... My inaction would destroy him. Surely Ilyeth would give in and tell him where the treatise was. But what if she didn't? Lord help me. This isn't what you meant when you told me to do good work. My silence was killing him. Just like that, the sacred distance snapped. I lifted my eye from the camera. 
I know where it is. Geralt spun. A piece of his skin stayed on the floor. The flesh underneath was red and angry. Where? I said. Your compost bin. He grunted and crawled to the kitchen, like an inchworm measuring out his own life. Ilyeth cried out, No! and chased Geralt. We hurried after the pair. With any other documentary, I would have been delighted at this confrontation. It would make a brilliant climax. But my stomach turned at the deadly game the two were playing. Geralt could die. This was beyond the mini-death that the scrambling of his memory represents. He could be as irrevocably dead as you- In the kitchen, Geroth shoved the compost aside, burrowing into it until he found the papers of his treatise. He dragged it out of the pile, brushing the dirt from it with his fingers. Sobbing coughs racked his body. He flipped through the pages desperately, and his breath eased as he read, but silk still hung from his lips. Geroth turned to Ilyeth. You did this. Beloved, I... Her fingers vibrated so quickly their edges blurred with emotion. Our betrothal is ended. But Geroth... Go. He turned the length of his back on her. I followed with the camera as Ilyeth crept to the door. Geroth said, Stop recording her. I want you to edit her out of my documentary. Ilyeth stopped at the door. No, beloved. You will not exist to me. I still held the camera on Ilyeth, my fingers frozen. Geroth barked, Turn it off! I nearly dropped the camera. I had changed events by speaking. Ilyeth crept out the door. The room was silent except for Geroth's labored breathing. I stared at him. What had I done? If I had waited, Ilyeth would have relented, right? It would have ended happily without me. Ilyeth would have told him where it was, and he would have gone to the cocoon chamber. But I had to open my trap, thinking that I was saving his life. Now I was part of the scene, but my role was unclear. A wave of coughing racked Geroth's body. As he spit silk onto the floor, I realized why he had not taken his medicine. You finished your treatise last night, didn't you? Yes. Geroth coughed again. He held the pages in his trembling fingers. I thought I had lost it. I thought the chrysalis enzymes were already stealing my mind, but it was Ilyeth who stole it. He looked at me. I meant what I said about Ilyeth. I do not want her mentioned in the final cut. But what if you have memories of her afterwards? Some small part of my brain still screamed that I should not get involved. Ilyeth betrayed me. I have months of footage showing how deeply Ilyeth cares about him. She loves you. I don't think she knew you had finished. Jeroth writhed in indecision. Russ met my gaze over Jeroth's head. His eyes were wide. I was in the scene fully, but he still stood outside it. For a heartbeat longer... I wondered if I could step back out of the scene. Then I placed my hands on either side of Geroth's face. You'll regret it later. He barked a sardonic laugh. Not if I don't remember. What do you do with a statement like that? Even if I had stayed outside the scene, I couldn't begin to guess what memories would survive Chrysalis. Christ. 
As if my memories of you make you any more alive. But you are. In my mind, you are alive still. I only left home a year ago by my count, and I still get your letters. Do I tell a ghost that I'm sitting here sobbing as if I'm choking on chrysalis silk? I want to go home, but home no longer exists. Even if I hopped on the next ship back to Earth, even if Jeroth's treatise made a wormhole open up straight to the family home, everything would be different. Two hundred years. I understand now why you clung to the family history for the memories it preserved. If I went back to Earth, it would be as different from my memories as if I had undergone chrysalis. Shit. I can't undo my choice, but I sure as hell can undo Jareth's. Dear Van, oh, I'm so excited I can hardly type. Kim Perkins came home, and she had an elderly gentleman with her. Oh, well, I say elderly, but he's two years younger than me. Oh, Lance, I feel like a girl again. Anyway, he's her uncle, and Kim asked if I wouldn't like to go out for a cup of tea with them. Oh, well, we did, and he's lovely. His name is Terence. We went on another outing today, but it was only the two of us without the third wheel. I've just come home, and I'm in a whirl. Oh, oh we're going to the cinema this evening. Anyway... I had to tell someone, and I thought of you. I know you were worried about me being lonely after you left, but, oh, I'm doing fine. Now you be well and do good work. Love, Grandma Tucker. Dear Grandma, When Gerald's cocoon showed signs of opening, I found myself in a warm, dry room, surrounded by the lyric figures of adult Husiths and their white larvae. In the center of the dim chamber lay a misshapen cocoon. Jeroth's cocoon was not the smooth, egg-like enclosure that sheltered most Husiths, as enzymes restructured their bodies for adulthood. His was gray and patched with bandages holding it together. I longed for my camera as the cocoon rocked, but the documentary was finished. The Husiths around me gathered their breath almost as one when the first feeble limb tore an opening in the cocoon. At that signal, the attendants rushed forward and pulled the fibers apart, letting the damp, gasping form struggle out. As the warm air hardened his exoskeleton, Jeroth, I stopped myself and mentally edited out the last two sounds of his larval name. Jero began to assume some of the beauty of his brethren as shades of amber and cerulean swirled under his exoskeleton. Kyo knelt in front of him to create the first impression on Jero's adult mind. It should have been Ilyeth. Jero, welcome to your adulthood. I am Kyo, your brother. Jero focused on his brother and nodded. Kyo, I remember you. One by one, the Husiths came forward, saying their names, reminding him of how he knew them. To each he replied, I remember you. Then, feeling truly alien, my turn came. Kneeling in front of a being different from the Jeroth I had known, I said, I am Vanessa, your documentarian. Vanessa. He cocked his head, 
and I willed myself to see recognition in his unfathomable golden eyes. I remember you. What else did he remember? But my turn was over. I was already at the door when I heard, I am Ilyeth. We were betrothed. I turned, my mental focus racking in for a close shot. Ilyeth's marble flesh had grayed with the approach of her own chrysalis. Her fingers trembled in anticipation. Ilyeth. Jero cocked his head as if the camera had shifted to slow motion. I remember you. He turned, seeming to look for something he was missing. Kyo leaned in and whispered the correct response. Jero turned to Ilyeth. Sit by my side, beloved. As Ilyeth inched to his side, I had to put my hand on the door to steady myself. He did not remember the fight. My eyes misted, making the room look as if a diffusion filter had been placed over the lens. I needed to switch the documentaries. Turning, I went into the memory room. I had done as Jeroth asked and edited Ilyeth out of the documentary that was in the projector. I pulled that reel out of the projector and stuffed it into my pocket as Jero walked into the room. Attendants supported him while his hardwired instincts taught him to walk. As I loaded the new reel, Ilyeth settled next to Jero. She looked behind her at the projection booth, as if in apprehension. I hit the play button, and the second documentary began to roll. On the screen, Jeroth worked on his treatise while Ilyeth supported him. Their love unfolded frame by frame, the fights and anger edited out. I watched, imprinting the moment in my memory as Jero pulled Ilyeth close. I think you would be proud of me. I've done good work. This story was brought to you by Travelcast Productions. For great free fiction week to week, check out the Travelcast at www.travelcast.org.